of um, the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to uh, deal with his individual work in lives. Uh, we're going to start in the beginning of your Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and verse 2. We've alluded to this. The Holy Spirit uh, did have a part in creation, uh, was present. You cannot have part of God. It says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters in Genesis 1 and verse 2. And right from the beginning, as the Holy Spirit is introduced to us, it seems to be, and for lack of just having a better way to word it, there is no such thing as a part of God. Uh, you can't have a piece of God, but the Holy Spirit is that person of the Godhead that has direct contact with us. Uh, during creation, God the Father sat on His throne. He spake. The Bible tells us in the book of John that Jesus did the creating, the physical work, but the Holy Spirit was there in direct contact in the locality there. And we see the Spirit of God uh, is going to be mentioned. And just so note, you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, all the same person. Uh, one time years ago, someone came and said, Now, Pastor, what's the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit? And I said, There, there is none. It's just a different way to mention Him. And we come to... Uh, let's just... Follow our notes here, if I can. Genesis chapter 41 is the next time that the Spirit of God is mentioned specifically here. Now, if you'll remember, Pharaoh had a dream uh, about the, the cows eating the cows and the corn eating the corn, and no one understood. And finally, Joseph was brought out of prison, and he gave the understanding to the Pharaoh and in verse 38, it says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Now, Pharaoh, as far as we know, uh, was no, not necessarily, at least at this point, was not a believer in the God of Israel. And we have no evidence that he ever was. But he was able to recognize that what Joseph had in him was not just some exceptional gift that sometimes men have. I mean, we've all seen people that have exceptional abilities in one area of their life or another. I mean, the, the medical term is uh, idiot savant, and, and that applies to someone who might not be able to add two plus two, but can play every classical piece that was ever known to mankind, uh, only hearing it once. And there are people like that. There are people that can do any mathematical problem you've ever met, uh, I mean, ever heard of, in their head. And yet, they couldn't uh, dress themselves in the morning without someone helping them. Um, I'm not sure why that term doesn't apply to sports figures. Uh, I guess because most of them are too busy with the first part of the word instead of the second part. I don't know. I just offer that for your own uh, uh, thought process there. 
And um, you say, what do you do for someone who is good at absolutely nothing? We make them politicians. That's what we do. And so uh, the Pharaoh recognized that what Joseph had was not just a special gift. But what Joseph had was the Spirit of God. Now, the reason why we, we spend a little time on this is the simple fact that when the Holy Spirit shows up, even unsaved people can tell. The Holy Spirit of God does some incredible things in the Bible. I, uh, I like this next one. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 31. And we're just going to summarize some of the different references here where the Holy Spirit is said to have come upon or filled a person. Look at uh, Exodus 31, verse 3. It says, uh, well, let's uh, start in verse 1, actually. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and silver and in brass and in cutting of stones, to set them and in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Asminishash, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. And so, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, enabled these men to do the work that needed to be done. I mean, they were, you got to remember... They were no longer in the land of Egypt. Uh, while they were in the land of Egypt, the only one that was trained with any skills or any learning of the Egyptian was Moses. Uh, the rest of them were slaves. Uh, they were just uh, uh, moving and making brick and, and moving uh, great objects and doing the work. There was no trade schools. And God said, listen... This tabernacle is going to take some skill that is beyond uh, the realm of human knowledge. And so I'm going to put my spirit in this man and he is going to have the ability. How many of you have actually read carefully through uh, the tabernacle in the Old Testament about how they made some of those different things? I mean, we see even in the windows here, they have a representation of the menorah in the back windows uh, or of the lampstand that was in the temple. That was made out of one piece of gold. Now, how would you like to work or start out with a 75-pound blob of gold and get something that looks like that, that actually has an open cup? at the top to hold the oil for the wick. I mean, stop and think about that. The mercy seat, of which we have no idea what it looks like other than it's described as 
a cover for the Ark of the Covenant with two cherubim that set their wings on high and came up over top of the mercy seat. The mercy seat itself was that hollow place. Again, a unit of gold and a hammer, and he had to make it. The priestly garments used golden thread. You know, you can hammer gold out into the thinnest uh, of uh, sheets and then you cut it and you actually make thread with it. How many of you would like to try sewing with gold thread uh, and not break the thread and have it woven into the material that, that was there and then in turn to cut the stones and all of that? No one taught him. The Holy Spirit of God put the knowledge in this man. And it says, any person who was wise-hearted that wanted to do something for the tabernacle, the Holy Spirit gave them ability to do this. Now, we need to remember these things because they're going to come back in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, we are going to see some changes uh, one of the most amazing uh, issue, uh, stories with the coming on of the Holy Spirit of God is in Numbers chapter 24, Balaam. He had already been reprimanded by God. God already knew that Balaam was going to do all the wicked things that are recorded in the book of Jude. And Numbers chapter 24, let's turn there, verse 2. It says, And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit of God came upon a man that the Bible calls a wicked man, a man that had the error of going after gain. And yet, God gave him a parable, prophecy, a blessing upon Israel in spite of the double wicked king, uh, 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 Balak, the son of Zippor, who was trying to get him to prophesy against Israel. Uh, I love Isaiah chapter 61. We've got to just stop there and read this one. And, of course, this was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Isaiah is speaking here. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are abound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And it goes on. The, uh, the Spirit of God is to preach and to prophesy. And in Ezekiel, the Spirit of God grabs Ezekiel by the lock of his hair 
and lifts him up and takes him different places to see the visions of God. These are just a summary of things that we see the Holy Spirit doing in the lives of believers. Now, don't worry about your hair. Amen. Uh, the Holy Spirit's not going to be doing that in the New Testament, but he, he did do that. And uh, Ezekiel was literally carried by the hair of his head and let to see things that God wanted him to see. In the book of the Judges, we're going to talk about the coming on of the Spirit of the Lord. And, of course, this is the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, we're going to see this several times. And uh, the first time here, we're, uh, as we get to Samson, we're going to see something a little different. So let's go to uh, Judges chapter 3, if you would. Judges chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Verse 9 tells us who him was. It says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, whom he delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against that big long name again. And the land had rest forty years. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So we have uh, the children of Israel crying to the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God rests upon Othniel. He goes out to battle. He wins the battle. It says he judged Israel first. Now that's an interesting thing. Why did he judge? What did he judge in Israel first? They had to turn from their sins, from their idolatry, from the wicked things that had brought bondage. And when they repented, then God sent them into battle and gave them victory. This seems that God empowered Othniel just like he did uh, Beazaleel to build the tabernacle. Othniel went out and fought a battle. Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon who was a timid man, who didn't want to go into battle, was afraid uh, of the Midianites. He blows the trumpet because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And even Jephthah, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he had boldness to approach the children of Ammon and win the battle. Now, I want you to look with me in uh, Judges 14, and we're going to just do a brief, brief summary of the life of Samson. Samson was the one who was to be a Levite from his mother's womb. And in Judges chapter 14, verse 6, Samson was going down uh, to Timnath, to the land of the Philistines. And in verse 5, a young lion roared against him, came out to attack him. In verse 6, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Now, here is Samson walking down And this lion roars against him and leaps at him. And Samson just grabs it with his bare hands and and kills it. Just like he would a baby goat. 
hey, I'll tell you what, the Spirit of God gave him his strength. And we see the Spirit of God coming on him again and again and giving him his special strength. Uh, one time the Philistines were all gathered around him, their entire army, 3,000 men. And Samson kills, I think, well over a thousand of them at one shot. An amazing person. But then we know he met Delilah. And finally he told her his secret. And look at Judges chapter 16 and verse 20. And this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. And she, Delilah, said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. Look at that last phrase. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. You know what? When the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson, he did some mighty things. But isn't it amazing that when the Spirit of the Lord left him, Samson had no idea what was going on. So, just getting ahead a little bit, uh, those that believe that you need to have shivers running up and down your spine and jumping up and down and ecstatic utterances and all of these things... Tell you what, we don't really see that. We see God giving them abilities. We give, see God giving them strength to lead in battle. We see Samson doing uh, unbelievable feats of strength under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit was gone, Samson had no clue until he felt the rough hands of the Philistines grab him and hold him as they... Uh, put his eyes out and bound him in chains that he could not break. That if the Holy Spirit had been upon him, would have been absolutely nothing for him to shred and to go on about as if he were not uh, even shackled by the chains. And so, we see something here that's a little different. The Holy Spirit came on. And the Holy Spirit departed. One of the greatest illustrations of this is in the lives of the first two kings of Israel. We have Saul and we have David. And again, we're, uh, we're reviewing material that you should all know. But again, this puts down uh, the foundation for what we're going to study because the Holy Spirit was active from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. The Holy Spirit is always doing things. But oftentimes, we attribute an awful lot of stuff to the Holy Spirit that isn't the Holy Spirit of God. At least in our day and time. And things that really are the Holy Spirit of God, we totally ignore. And so we need to be biblically sensitive to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of the believer. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And this is where 
Saul was anointed to be the king of Israel, and Samuel gave him several signs. Now, we're going to see signs connected with the Holy Spirit through the Bible. He says, now Saul, these things are going to happen to you. Uh, He says, you're going to, in verse 3, you're going to meet uh, three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a bottle of wine, and they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. And thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass when thou art thither to the city, Thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabard and a pipe and a harp, and they shall prophesy, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee that thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. Now let's go down to verse 9. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. So, God changed Saul. He gave him another heart. Now, look at verse 10. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And that started a riddle among the children of Israel... Is Saul, the son of Kish, one of the prophets? I mean, the prophets were a specific and separate group that God was using to teach and to uh, train uh, the people of Israel to deliver his message. And here the king is prophesying among the prophets. And it was, shall we say, a little confusing to the children of Israel. Why should the king be the spokesman from God? That really showed you how wicked their hearts and how far the hearts of the nation of Israel was turned from God at this point. Because we know that Jesus says the King of Kings is the voice of God. Amen? And that David was a prophet as well as a king. And that this was the theme that God wanted to set up. But, well, let's not get to the but yet. Let's go to... 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 6. The inhabitants of of Jabesh-Gilead sent to Saul and said, Will you come and protect us? If not, we're going to have to surrender uh, to the Ammonites and they're going to blind us in one eye and and lay it for a reproach in Israel. And uh, in verse 6, it says, And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings in his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Now, how many of you have been up close to an ox? I mean... Those things are huge. And here he is. He's got two oxen in front of him. He grabs whatever he has and he chops those things up into 12 pieces, six pieces each, I guess. 
and calls the messengers and they send them out. And uh, the message is, if you don't come, Saul's going to show up and he's going to kill your oxen. Uh, you had better come. And the people said, yes, sir. And they came. The Bible says that the Spirit of God enraged him and made him move to, to lead uh, the people in this direction. But we get to First uh, Samuel chapter 16. And let's look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, we could, could spend a lot of time here, but that's not my goal. When you come out from under the influence of the Holy Spirit, guess what you've opened yourself up for? Influence by the evil spirits. And we find out that later uh, David was brought in and David played his music for Saul and when he was in these despondent fits of uh, uh under this influence of this evil spirit, and that the music refreshed him and drove the evil spirit away. And let me tell you something. Music is important. The type of music you listen to, what you bring into your mind. Uh, there is good music with bad words. There is bad music with good words. Uh, there is good music with no words, and there is bad music with no words. Uh, you say, how can you tell the difference? Well, it's very simple. Just match it up. You see, study where the music came from. How many of you are familiar with the term reggae music? Uh, if you know music history, it is the foundation of what is now rock and roll music. Uh, that's according to the Oxford English Dictionary, by the way. And uh, reggae music comes from the islands. It was part of the voodoo and the devil-worshipping practice. That's where that music comes from. Why do you think they want to play the music and smoke the weed and, and do all of the things that are attached to that? Uh, I had a fellow argue with me uh, a while back, uh, years and years ago, about, well, he says, you know, music is amoral. It's what you make it. Um, how many are familiar with the term jazz music? Um, when I was a, a teenager, uh, one of the biggest jazz musicians of the day was a fellow named Chuck Maggioni. He wrote a song called, It Feels So Good. You know what? There wasn't one word in the song. But if you ever listened to the song, uh, you knew he wasn't talking about a walk in the park. You knew that he wasn't talking about something nice and wholesome 
just simply because of where the music came from and the lives of the men that produced it and all of the things that were attached to it. Jazz appeals to the sensual side of man. And I can't even repeat. And we're not here to just deal with music, but the Spirit of God works with music. Uh, I could take the rest of the service and give you stories, but one that always just sticks in my mind, my wife and I were just newly married. We were on deputation and we were in a church there and uh, presenting the ministry. And they had a special in a young lady got up to sing the special and she had one of them soundtracks and you could just tell that she had been to all the concerts of whoever said person was and you know she's sitting there just trying to swallow the microphone swaying back and forth and had a horrible voice but she thought she was the embodiment of an early contemporary uh, Christian star. And that service was as dead as a hammer. I mean, you could just... I mean, literally, I remember feeling, not that we go on feelings, but you could just feel the Holy Spirit of God leaving that place. How many of you have been at Southwest for one of the big meetings? And when they start singing those grand old hymns. I never will forget Brother Floyd when he was alive leading the 90 and 9. I thought he was going to have a heart attack and die right there on the platform. But I mean the whole auditorium was electrified. You were there, weren't you, Brother Mike? Miss Kelly, they're nodding their heads. You remember, if you were there, you remember it. I mean, it was incredible. And the preacher... You know what? I think you could have preached on chop suey that night and the Holy Spirit would have still been working. As long as it came from the Bible, you understand what I'm saying. When the Holy Spirit works, He changes things. You can recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. The sad part is you can recognize... The, whole, the missing presence of the Holy Spirit, but only after it's too late. As in the case of Samson, as in the case of King Saul. But let's contrast that, if you're still in 1 Samuel 16, just go one verse before to verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Do you get that? There's a difference. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. But the Spirit of God didn't stay there. The Spirit of God came upon David as a 13, 12, 13-year-old boy, maybe, maybe a year or two each way, who knows? And it says the Spirit of God came on him from that day forward. You know, when Saul disobeyed God and brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites, God said, I've rejected you from being king. Doesn't it seem like David did a lot worse than Saul did? 
when he committed adultery with Uriah's wife and had him killed by the hand of the uh, children of Ammon and all of the things that he did. And yet the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God came on him from that day forward. And in Psalm 51.11, he prays and he says, Take not thy spirit from me, Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because he had seen what happened to Saul when the Holy Spirit was gone. He said, don't, don't do that to me, God, please. And God didn't. And in First Chronicles, I want you to turn there, chapter 7. As God is speaking to David, he's going to give David a promise concerning Solomon. Am I at the right verse? Maybe it's Second Chronicles. No, that's not it either. Well, I wrote down the verse wrong. I apologize for that. We will look it up. And uh, But God made a promise. He said, I will not take my mercy from him as I did he that was before thee. And so, uh, the truth of the matter is that God promised David that he would not remove um, his mercy from him as he did from uh, uh, Saul before him. And uh, I was just looking to see if I could find it, and I can't. Uh, what is it? There we go. Thank you, Brother Mike. 17.13. hate when I do that. And uh, it says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him. That was before thee. And so we have David very different than Solomon. Now, we have a few minutes here, and I knew this was going to happen. We were going to cover the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and start on the New and not have enough time to really get into it the way I would like to. But... Let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, and spend just a few minutes here. The Holy Spirit has a specific job and duty in the New Testament. And they differ somewhat from the Old Testament because of the promises of God. Now, we come here to verse 18, and ver let's read verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I've had some people try to tell me that this is talking about the body of the local church. And yes, churches can do wrong things, but they can't do what is spoken of in this verse. That's an individual choice. He's speaking to individuals. The Holy Spirit is to live within us. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we were created how? In the image of God. We realize that God has presented Himself to us as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How are we created in the image of God? Well, let's look at it. The first thing we notice about a human being is what? Their body. We see it. And we know that Jesus was the physical appearance of God. Old and New Testament, he had a body. He became a man in time and sacrificed that human body on the cross. But he appeared all through the Old Testament, and we will see him in a glorified state all through the end of uh, the book of Revelation. We have a body, Jesus the Son. But we know that there's more to a human being than just this flesh. We know that there's something different about us, as lovely and intelligent as the dolphins are. They're not human. I mean, as smart as the chimpanzees can be and the primates are. Isn't it amazing? They say the closest one to us is actually the ugliest of all, the orangutan. And uh, the, the simple truth is, if you crawled into a cage with a wild orangutan, probably really bad things would happen to you. And you know what? You would feel very bad about it. But the orangutan would not have one twinge of guilt whatsoever. He doesn't have a soul like we do. God the Father. So where did the Spirit come in? The Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve took that fruit and they ate it, they died. Did they not? Could it be that the Spirit that was in man, the part of man that had direct contact with God died. And now, when Adam has his son, in Genesis chapter 5, if you've been through the discipleship, you've been through this, Adam was created in the image of God, yet when Adam's son was born, he was in the image of Adam. Why? Because Adam was no longer in the image of God. Because sin had entered, and Adam's spirit has died. had died. We were born spiritually dead. That's why when you get saved, when you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you to restore you as much as is humanly possible to enable you to have contact with God. Do you realize without that Spirit living in you, you would not be able to communicate as you can. 
with God the Father. Isn't that a wonderful promise? The Bible tells us that if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives within you. If you want an understanding of the signs in the New Testament, something which I hope uh, us to spend ample time on, uh, we're not afraid. Uh, I am not afraid of charismatic doctrine. I believe it's wrong. I have many reasons why I believe it's wrong. And, and we're going to take some time to go through those reasons and simply put forth what the Bible teaches But if you want a a super summary of what the gifts of the Spirit were, the speaking in tongues, they were proofs that the Holy Spirit was living in a person because we can't always see it. Unless you're doing some great feat like Samson did, or working some great work like Beelzebub, the son of her, uh, my tongue is just tangled tonight. You'll have to forgive me. But uh, uh, unless you're interpreting some great dream as Joseph, how would we know? And the Bible tells us that the devil himself is transformed as an angel of light. And sometimes his messengers look more like the messengers of the truth than God's own messengers do. So how do we know the Holy Spirit indwells us? Very simple. Because the Bible says so. But what did we do before we had the New Testament? Ah, well, there was a need for God to intervene in a special, unique way so that people could know that these messengers are God's messengers and not just another one of the false messengers in the world around them. And uh, I, I say this over, and I hope I don't get tedious to you, but once you know what God said, why does he have to reprove it continually? You see, he doesn't. That's why it's not going on today. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. It fits the biblical pattern. God is restoring us to the image that we were first created in. Not permanently. That will happen after the resurrection when we are judged and glorified. But uh, while we are here on earth, God has given His Holy Spirit to us. It says He will never leave us nor forsake us. He wants to live in us. He wants our bodies to be His temple. Now, I don't uh, want to go too far here, but just a few moments, I want you to think about something. If my body and your body is His temple, and that's what this passage we just read said, how many times this week Did we do things that shouldn't be done in the temple of God? That's a sensitivity that God wants to put in the life of every Christian. You know, you have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. 
It doesn't come naturally because God is not, does not think the way we think. We do not react the way that He reacts. And so, uh, let's just take a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and we'll find a parallel passage there. And then we'll close tonight. It says in what verse 15, in what concord or agreement or what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Almighty. I'll tell you, a lot of preachers want to ignore this passage today. But if you'll read it carefully, it's one of the most special and intimate promises that God Himself makes to the believer. He said, if you will come out from among them, if you'll stop living in the world as a part of the world, if you'll be separate, if you'll stop Holding the unclean things, he says, I'm going to be a father to you. You're going to be my child. I'll tell you what, as a father, there is not one of my children that I haven't failed at one time or another as a father. Praise God, been there uh, all those years and, and uh, will publicly be honest, I'm not perfect. But you know what? God is. I was a 14-year-old boy when I watched him put my father's body in the ground, my earthly father. But you know what? In all those years, my heavenly father has never forsaken me. You know how he accomplishes this? Through the Spirit of God in our lives. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. It's what happens when you get saved. That's why you have to be baptized. Because the work of salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Nobody saw it happen. You say, how do I know it happened? Uh, You did what the Bible said. Amen? That's the only way you can know. It's not how you feel. It's not what you think. It's not that I am such a better person now than I was before. It is the fact that I obeyed the Word of God. Everything that the Holy Spirit does is connected to the words of this book. And if you forget that, you're going to venture far into the realm of the land of make-believe, is what I like to call it, fantasy land, where all kinds of things are possible that aren't scriptural. You know what? Just because it's not scriptural doesn't mean it can't happen. But what we want to do is understand the work of the Holy Spirit of God. He comes upon, He gives special abilities, 
it came upon David from that day forward. He left Samson. Samson didn't even know he was gone. Saul had no idea the Spirit of God was gone until the evil spirit showed up and began to torment his mind and his heart. Praise God, he says in the New Testament, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us understanding of your word, of the work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we would not lose sight of the things between this week and next week. And Lord, I just pray that you would touch our hearts And, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would lead us in our service for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. Piano will.